And thank you ever so much for firing up the 48th dose of scoring at the movies. We analyze old motion pictures with sports-type stuff in them, and we do that every other Thursday. We also spoil them from the opening credits to the closing credits. I'm the tacky blowhard who don't get no respect. Ryan Ellis almost said Ronnie Dangerfield there. (laughs) With my mediocre Ronnie Dangerfield impression. And here's the lisping golf enthusiast who wants to kill Mr. Gopher, so he's got that going for him. Lord Christy Gregorio. Thanks, Ryan. I like to think of myself as long, long hitter. Long. And it's funny that... So we're... Oh, God. This, oh, this, this is, is going to happen. We're revealing right times. away. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing this through Zoom. And there's a slight delay because we're obeying quarantine rules. Chris is at his house in his robe, and I'm here in the posh Ellis recording studio. Yeah. This is the first time we're doing a podcast this way, so let's see how it goes. Could work fine. Could be a huge failure. Roll those dice, baby. <laughs> It's funny that you ascribed to me Bill Murray for this little intro, Ryan, because in honor of Bill Murray's character and his most dramatic scene in the movie, the scene where they perfectly imitate the pitch black middle of the night hunting of the varmint, I picked mm-hmm. the deadly dark lager to drink with this movie, so we'll get that going with the okay. whole... Okay. Ah, cracked. cracked. My CC and diet, as always, oh. almost always, and has also been cracked. Because it's an audio medium... I have a visual gag for you. I'm just going to put that <laughs> on. And... All right. You're now Bill Murray and you're Bill Murray's boss. That's right. Ugh. Ugh. Groundskeeper Chrissy. Groundskeeper Chrissy. All right, ready to go. We are two of many people that are doing things this way, probably even podcast recordings using Zoom or Skype or what have you. I don't like seeing myself. I'm going to be playing with this. You like seeing yourself. I do. And when you're I say I don't vain. like, I mean, I'm not going to be able to tear my eyes away from myself the whole time. I'm so hey, also good a quick, <laughs> a quick note I want to make before we get going is that I've been numbering recent episodes a little bit off. Point Break and Fast and the Furious were both listed as number 44, and I wonder what was going on, but I finally figured it out, and I fixed that since. Maybe no one else even noticed. I don't know that Chris even noticed, but I can't be the only pedantic person out there. So to those people, <laughs> I deeply regret the error. There's somebody that has been clutching their desk just in a fit of rage for like the last four weeks now, or five weeks, and you've just alleviated everything that's been bugging them ah this hair falling out of my fake hat i wonder what the hell that was it's got like an orange wig thing on the back and a shedding for anywho but if anyone did notice that that was what it was i'd misnumbered fast and the furious which we covered because it was going to be fast nine coming out soon but no can do it got pushed back so is this legitimately number 48 then Yes, I have this right. Okay. I think I was always announcing it right, but I wrote it wrong on the website. Oh, so it okay. might be a little marginally confusing. Not that big a deal. But we like to be pedantic, you and I, and I'm sure some of our listeners do too. It's what I live for. <laughs> okay, so Los Locos del Golf, which is what it's known as in Mexico, Caddyshack, was released by Orion Pictures, which is Bull Durham's recording, not recording, but Bull Durham Studio, Orion Pictures was. They've since folded. 40 years ago, on July 25th, 1980, it was a huge hit, and many people loved it, but spoiler alert, this man and I did not. We'll get into that in a minute. All right, I can't do this. Let's the hat's it. coming off. 
I regret nothing, but man, that is an itchy hat. All right. Yeah, it was I'm fun back. for a few minutes. I'm going to tell you why people love this movie with some numbers, Chris. I'll get to that right now. So first of all, Rotten Tomatoes. Not wonderful, but pretty good. 74% of critics liked it. 6.7 out of 10. 87% of audiences. 87. The sequel, though, Caddyshack 2, many years later, got 4% and 18%. <laughs> trounced. Wow. Box office. It was 17th that year. Empire Strikes Back was number one. Bev and I covered that years ago. Ordinary People, which we just covered a while ago. The Best Picture winner was 11th. The Shining, which Bev and I covered years ago, was 14th. And one of your favorites, Raging Bull, was Ugh. number 27. Blech. Raging Blech. Raging Blech was number one on the sports list. Caddyshack was number seven in the top 100 genres in the sports category. I don't know why. We recently watched this together, and I think we had the same kind of sense of meh about it probably when it was over. So if 87% of audiences liked it, and only 18% of audiences liked the sequel, how friggin' mm. bad was the sequel? I don't know. I never saw it. I'm sure it was terrible. It must have been. To be that bad and 4% of critics, what's that, seven of them in the entire world thought it was okay? <laughs> Who was the one or critic that less? was like, two thumbs up, the one guy that they managed to pull a quote from for the movie poster? I want to know who that person was. He loved Chevy Chase that much, because yeah. Chevy Chase is the only major actor to be in the sequel. Oh, he actually appeared in the sequel? Yeah, nobody else from this, at least the Dangerfields. And the, well, Ted Knight was, I think, dead by that point. This was Ted Knight's last movie. And I don't believe that... What's Danny's real name again here? I have it. Where is it? Michael O'Keefe. I don't think he was in it either, the women. So it was pretty much a Chevy Chase show. I don't think Murray... No, Murray wasn't in it either. No, Murray and Chase, who didn't like each other, were only ever in this one movie. Huh. I guess Chase was desperate for money even way back then. <laughs> well, it was about a year before he did Christmas Vacation. I think Dennis Quaid... Not Dennis, Randy Quaid was in the sequel, and then, of course, he was in a lot of the vacation movies, so he must have called in some favors, meaning Chase did, to get Quaid in there. A few more accolades, and then we'll get into more of a proper conversation. Caddyshack was 92nd on the top 100 quotes with something that's fine, but is it really that quotable? It's the Cinderella story speech that Murray goes through. Does anyone really? Well, maybe people do say it when they play sports golf or what have you. The better quote is, hey, everybody, we're going to get laid. That's pretty good. There's a few decent lines in it. The one line that really makes me laugh is the one you quoted off the beginning, right? Is Bill Murray's impromptu speech about the Dalai Lama and how he's a long, a big hitter, long, and how he's got Mm. eternal enlightenment, or was it? I don't think it's enlightenment that he has. He has something, though. Anyway, he's got some sort of bliss awaiting him at the end of his life, and so I got that going for me. So that's nice. That is the line of the movie for me, and it happens about three minutes in. But the Cinderella story speech, that's okay, but one of the great quotes ever, I don't know. And this movie was also 71st on the top 100 laughs. Some like it hot was number one on that list. 71st, I don't think we laugh much. Wait, what? Some like it on hot the laughs was list, number yeah. one? The greatest comedy of all time. Yeah, I don't agree with that either, but it's definitely funnier than this movie. Yeah, maybe a different era. And agreed, it is funnier than this movie, I think. And a couple more plaudits. Yeah, it's a good song. The I'm Alright. That is a good song. That's nominated or was nominated for the top nine songs, didn't make it. And then there's another quote, but I can't find what it is because the AFI changed their website. Maybe it was the we're going to get laid. I don't know. That made the AFI's top 100 quotes list? Nominated. Just nominated. <laughs> no, if anything, i got to believe it's the other Bill Murray speech. Or maybe it's the let's dance moment. Dangerfield just breaks into dance in the middle of the <laughs> fairway for no good reason. Neither one of us really laughed very much in this movie, obviously, but... If there was one moment that almost made me just burst out laughing, it was that. That when he pulls the piece off of his golf bag for some reason, turns on the radio and yells, let's dance! And then everybody in the fairway just starts dancing with him. It's so ridiculous. And the fact that they have Rodney Dangerfield's character do it. What is he in this movie? Like 60, 65 years old, thereabouts. Look while you're talking. Go ahead. Keep talking. 
the reason it works to me is because if it would have been Chevy Chase, that would have been too perfect for his character. It would have been too in line. It wouldn't have been as funny. Yeah. If it was Chase Bill was Murray. playing it cool, too, so he yeah, can't be Chase, too dorky. And Bill Murray, of course, was just crazy. Dangerfield was born in 1921, so he wasn't quite 60 yet. Okay, but about He looks about older than 60. 60, but he wasn't quite 60. Well, there you go. I'm going to get into the nutshell. So, Randy Dangerfield, Chevy Chase, Bill Murray, three comic legends. Certainly now, maybe not at that point. Dangerfield may have been already a stand-up comic, a legend. Here's the nutshell. I rooted for the asshole judge. I was more in line with Ted Knight's character than those other guys. Rodney Dangerfield, in the movie, I don't mean him as a person, is a fucking asshole, and he's wrong. I don't know much about golf. You're the golfer, but there's etiquette. He has none. I guess that's supposed to be funny, but he has no respect. He almost kills people when he's boating. I agree with you, and I think there's a few reasons why you side with the judge in this movie. One, we're both cranky old men at heart, so we side with the cranky old white man. Dangerfield's character is just a total dick from start to finish in this movie. Late 70s into the mid-80s was the pinnacle of the screwball comedy where there was some ruffian or some 'er ne'er-do-well or some goofy jackass that was showing the uptight Animal House style, showing the Dean what's what. And I think that was meant to be Rodney Dangerfield's character, right? He was the everyman who was a screwball kind of dude. I think he was meant to be played as a good guy at heart. But as I think you said when we were watching this, there's scenes where he's throwing cash at people in the most disrespectful way possible. He's an obnoxious Literally asshole. Literally throwing cash at them. You suck. Here, have some money. He could have killed people in that bonus sequence. Could have killed yeah. people. He has no respect for the rules of the course, which are probably stupid and white man bullshit type rules, but they do exist. He's also nouveau riche, which I don't care about. I always hate when people do that. Well, you're new money. You don't count. Well, the guy earned it, so that's actually more impressive than somebody who inherited it. I guess Ted Knight is a judge, so maybe he didn't inherit the money. But the point is, Dangerfield is supposed to be funny. I get it. I know. But I didn't think he was funny, and I didn't like his character after a little while. Murray's kind of annoying with the lispy thing he's doing, yeah. even though he's one of the funniest actors of all time. Chase is probably the best, but I wouldn't say he's that funny. Chase, yeah, I think Chase's performance is the best. I do like Bill Murray in this movie, although, like you said, the lisp is over the top. Some of what he does, I think, doesn't hit the mark anymore in 2020. I don't really understand Dangerfield's character at all in this movie. But that said, you listed those three guys as three legends of comedy, right, in the genre. So would you say that they get some respect these days, Ryan? They get some respect. <laughs> they sure do. Oh, don't get no respect. Oh. <laughs> There you go. You should have done the impression at the beginning of the podcast. I slip into Rocky. Whenever I try to do Dangerfield, I just slide right into Rocky. That wasn't bad. And I feel like I should be going, Adrian, we did it. (laughs) Well, we have now watched, I don't know, maybe four movies together. It could be more than that. But three, quote unquote, legendary comedies from, this is the 80s, but the 70s era. This might as well, it was made in the 70s, late 79. It was made in September to November of 79. But also, of course, Slapshot, which did that last year, and Longest Yard. Longest Yard and Slapshot, and Caddyshack for that matter, maybe more so Caddyshack, are thought of as comedic legends in the sporting field, and we barely laughed in those three movies, I don't know, ten times combined, and maybe it's us. Well, <laughs> But what is it? This is supposed to be such a great comedy. I gave you all those numbers, and it's not yeah, that funny. It's definitely us. Movies are a subjective medium, right? So no one's going to have exactly the same interpretation of a given movie, and I think that's true of all three of those. I think a huge part of it is... The era, what was funny in the 70s, 80s, and really into the 90s, I don't think really plays anymore in 2020. So if you weren't already a big fan of those three movies going in, and I don't think either one of us was, I don't think it's going to play for you in 2020. I've seen this movie, I think, three times now, and I just never got into it. I think I mentioned in the build-up to this two weeks ago that it would fail the Me Too test. 
I guess it did, didn't it? Well, for one thing, there are behind-the-scenes stories that Sidney Morgan, who plays Lacey, was effectively Me Too'd by the producer John Peters. But it was more about bullying her, which I guess is part of Me Too, into doing things like photo shoots and appearing naked and all this kind of thing. And she didn't want to do some of those things, but she realized, well, I have to. It's this movie, my movie career, if I want to do it, and all these other big-name actors. And I'm not blaming them. And the other woman in the movie, the other major character of the women, Sarah Holcomb, she basically quit because of this movie. Neither of them appeared in that many films, but Holcomb especially, she only made four movies. One of those was Animal House, which you mentioned, and this experience soured her. But then Ted Knight wasn't a big fan either because of the fucking round by Chase and Dangerfield and Murray and probably everybody. I'm sure the kids did it too, because why not? Why wouldn't Michael O'Keefe fuck around if these other yeah. people are? So then Ted Knight, who was a pro, who'd been on Mary Tyler Moore and was this, I don't know about a legend, but certainly well-known actor, respected actor, Let's just get the fucking thing done. No, no, let's do another take and let's have some more beer and probably a lot of coke. And the women were treated like raging dog shit behind the scenes. And for that matter, some of the on-camera shots. Look at Chevy Chase, who's only 11 years older than Cindy Morgan when he's romancing her and all that kind of thing. They're fucking around and everything. But it looks like he's a lot older, so it felt a little weird and creepy. Yeah. Chevy Chase always comes across a little weird and creepy, I think. Although part of that might just be what we know about him as a person these days. The one nice thing that I took away from some of the behind-the-scenes stuff that we learned about this movie is that at least Harold Ramis was, by all accounts, if not a gentleman, at least he was trying to be a defender of Cindy Morgan. Yeah. Trying to be a pro, basically. And trying, trying to, to do things where the producer was forcing her to do stuff like the topless scenes and all that. Trying to do things to make her more comfortable, even if it maybe didn't work. At least Ramis came out sounding all right. There's no implication that Bill Murray, I don't think, did anything untoward to make anyone uncomfortable on set, which is nice, because I don't like the implication that his character would be smeared. Chevy Chase, I feel like, whether or not he actually did anything creepy, in particular that scene with the massage stuff and the oil and all that, because apparently Cindy Morgan's reaction to him dumping the whole bottle of oil in her back going, you're crazy, that was real, right? So he was clearly doing stuff that wasn't scripted. Hopefully nothing that crossed any particular lines. When it comes to Bill Murray, you just assume until told otherwise, he was probably fine because we all think Bill Murray is a great guy. He didn't work with the two women in this movie, though. I mean, that's He shared true. scenes with them, but he didn't have a scene one-on-one and certainly nothing sexual. That would have been weird if all of a sudden the creepy groundskeeper guy had a raging hot <laughs> sex scene with the cute niece of the judge. What do you think of Mr. Gopher? Because you seem to enjoy that character. That was done in post entirely. I think the idea was known before that. But they did all in post-production, and the guy from Star Wars, the legend, well, there's a lot of people that worked on Star Wars, they'll make that a visual effects classic. But John Dykstra created the Mr. Gopher puppet, which, by the way, should have been a mole I was reading. For a golf course, that's the problem. It's moles, not gophers. Yeah. But that damn thing ruins that course at the end of the movie. Obviously, again, I know I'm sounding like I'm 95 years old. It's played for comedy. (laughs) But when Bill Murray explodes the golf course, that thing ain't going to get played on again until they do some major fixes. Of all the slapstick humor in this movie, the whole gopher bit is the thing that played the best to me. And part of it is because the puppet is super cute and yes. silly. Bill Murray's reaction to it with the C4 and stuff like that, that is over-the-top slapstick humor. And that I can get behind. Where this movie lost me was where the slapstick was not slapsticky enough, so it almost played as real. This movie is pre the Naked Gun era, where we got super silly movies through the early they 90s. They committed right? to the silliness, though. Oh, yeah, I know. We watch this now, but we're used to insanely stupid and insanely silly movies at this point. Not only pre-Naked Gun, but pre-Meatballs or Revenge of the Nerds. This predates all of that stuff, doesn't it? Airplane was the same year as this. 
Okay, so and you, Meatballs, I believe, is the year before this. We're right at the beginning of super screwball, silly stuff. So a lot of the slapsticky things in this movie aren't quite outrageous enough to come across as, oh, they're playing this for like hyper laughs. And that's why a lot of the stuff that Rodney Dangerfield does is not quite outrageous enough for you to just say, oh, that would never happen because that's outrageously crazy. It's kind of outrageous, but it's still within the realm of possibility for a total self-entitled dick to do. So it feels like he's just playing it as a real asshole of a guy, right? You know, here's my comparison. He was in Natural Born Killers. Not a big fan of that movie, but the scene with him, Oliver Stone, has a laugh Wait, track behind it. Rodney Dangerfield was in Natural He plays Born... Juliette Lewis's father in Natural Born Killers. Wow. And the whole point is that he's abusive. Sounds like he's a sexually abusive, probably flat out rapist, but at least a molester. And because of the laugh track, it's almost funny. Last time I saw that movie, I had to contain myself from laughing because that's what laugh tracks are for, right? To encourage you to laugh. But what he's saying is awful. He plays that so well. But that actually, for such a ridiculous movie at times and an over-the-top movie, had a real feeling to it. Take away the laugh track, it would feel like a really scary, this guy needs to be stopped kind of film. And those big bug eyes also really contribute to it. He seems like such a sweetheart and moves like easy money. And I don't remember Ladybugs or what's that one he was doing with Downey Jr. and... Back to school. Those right. kinds of films I remember being pretty harmless comedies. And there's nothing wrong with him being edgy. But I was also reading that he didn't understand the concept behind action. So it'd be action. Nothing. Rodney, you going to do anything? <laughs> oh, yeah. now I go. Yeah, the concept is when you say action. And he would apparently have a problem with that. For, I don't know why. I think he'd acted before this. That may have been part of the reason why it's such a zany set, too. And you mentioned Ramis tried to keep control of this. This was his first movie as a director, too. So he had to put up with all these maniacs in his very first film. It's incredible it worked at all. I don't envy Ramis trying to reel in 1980-era Chevy Chase and Bill Murray and those guys. Because like you said, I'm sure it was not only constant alcohol, but drugs on set and things like that, too. There's a scene in the pool, right? The famous turd in the punch bowl kind of yeah, scene. not a fan of that one. I'm not a fan either, but before that happens, you see everyone going crazy in the pool. There's like a topless woman on somebody's shoulders bouncing around. And I think we both looked at each other and just wondered, was this just something that all of the people on set were doing that day because they just showed up and it felt <laughs> like having a pool party? Or was this scripted this way? Surreptitiously, Ramus said, turn the camera on, guys. Yeah, exactly. When these guys thought they were just living their normal lives. Exactly. I think you have a really good point about the laugh track thing and how that really plays into it too. Because I don't remember, aside from the... I'm all right. Wacky transition from one set piece to the next. That would play. You're supposed to feel good now. Yeah, exactly. So that worked. Other than that, I remember zero music from this or zero laugh track or anything like that. And maybe that's why. Maybe the sound effects weren't quite in tune with what they were looking for out of Dangerfield's character as far as the zaniness goes. And that's why it didn't quite play. You mentioned The Shining, right? We both recently watched that and we talked about how effective the music is in that movie and how you can totally twist the interpretation of the film by playing the recut trailer. What's the song in the recut? Oh, the Shining trailer. Yeah, yeah. You mean that? I'm your new foster father. I laugh at that every time I ever watch that trailer. That moment makes me laugh out loud even now, and I've seen that probably 40 times. It's a fantastic recut, but it perfectly shows how you can take images that are meant to be horrifying and unsettling and make it either heartwarming or funny just by totally changing the audio and the background music. And maybe that was part of the problem with this. I didn't think about that until you mentioned it just now, but Harold Ramis as a rookie director just didn't really have the feel for it yet. That some of the sound effects He directed work. Vacation with Chase a couple years later. 
And of course, he directed the legendary Groundhog Day, and he co-wrote and starred in Ghostbusters. So that right. is a career for anybody. And he was obviously trying to find his footing, but I prefer those comedies any day to this one. Yeah, there's no comparison, I don't think, right? I'm not a big Blues Brothers fan, though, either. Not to say that anybody from this movie is involved in that, although it was SNL guys, too, Aykroyd and Belushi, just like Murray was still on SNL, and Chase had been on SNL before this. But I think there's some of the same things going on in the Blues Brothers, where it doesn't feel ridiculous enough with all the car crashes and the zany things going on. I know a lot of people love that comedy, like they love this comedy, but maybe that's what it was. An airplane, again, also the same year, where you know it's ridiculous and stupid. Oh, yeah. But these other two movies didn't quite mesh together that way, and Blues Brothers was directed by a guy who's almost a veteran at that point, John Landis. So there's not really any story in this movie, too. I don't know if we can really talk much about a story. It's mostly just golfing. What do you think about the depiction of the sport? The depiction of the sport's actually pretty good, I think. When you look at the era of golf, what's the actor that played the main character, Danny? I know you mentioned his name before, I forgot. Michael O'Keefe. Yeah. He actually has a really good swing. Chase looks like a good golfer. I think Chase, like Bill Murray, is actually a golfer. Well, we know Murray loves golf, especially now. Maybe he just started loving on this movie, but he loves it now and has for a long time. I think he must have loved it when they made this movie because that whole Cinderella story speech was improv right? Right. And he's talking about the Cinderella story as being a groundskeeper, a community new weird, the masters, right? His Cinderella story improv was a master's win. So if you're a fan of the He masters, knows whereof he speaks. Yeah, exactly. I think they all know the sport. And the Dangerfield character, that's another reason why he bugs me so much, is because there's, and you know me, I'm a big golfer, and I'm a bit of a stick in the mud when it comes to rules, because I worked in a private golf club for five years, so I know all this stuff. And while I think they're way uptight at those courses sometimes... A lot of these etiquette rules have rationales. It bugs me when they break them. And so when Rodney Dangerfield is doing stuff like yelling at people while they're making their putt on the green, it pisses me off. One of my favorite tangents is when the old man comes running up to Bill Murray's character and says, we can get nine holes in before the rain comes. Let's go. And then, of course, (laughs) it's just like a torrential downpour. That sequence is pretty funny. Yeah, but if you've ever worked in a golf club, you know that guy. There was thunderclouds on the horizon. It was about to rain, and some guy would come running up to the pro shop and say, I want to get a quick nine in. Let's go. There was always that guy. And the way Murray just leaves him when he gets hit by the lightning and dies. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of funny, too. Yeah, okay, that was a good scene. It's just a torrential monsoon. He asked Bill Murray, what do you think? I don't think the heavy stuff is hit yet. We should keep going. <laughs> He's like, yes, I can break the course record. Well, and obviously, that's supposed to be deliberately ridiculous with some of it because Rodney Dangerfield can't golf in the movie, and I'm guessing the real guy can't. Maybe the real guy was good and just acted that he couldn't golf. Yeah. That's part of the storyline. I get it. But did you notice the number of times that you'd see people do things in the background? <laughs> There's a point where I forget who it is. Is it him? Somebody throws a club. I think it might be Dangerfield. And then somebody else in a background shot who's not in any way focused on throws a club, too. And that happened a lot in this movie. The background details were more fun than some of the foreground details. That was a scene where Dangerfield was yelling at the judge or something to hit his putt on the 18th hole. And the judge missed the putt and then threw his club and it hit the table or whatever on the patio of the clubhouse. And you're right, there was that background actor that's also enraged for no good reason. (laughs) Two groups behind. He's like, oh, I can't believe this. (laughs) It's a horny ass movie. So I would say you could get down with this one. There's a lot of nudity. Now we know some of the stories of what happened with Cindy Morgan and Sarah Holcomb, and that's not cool. Are you saying, we're going to get laid? <laughs> when you watch this movie, you could get laid. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield's outfits in this movie, say what you want about his performance or the character as it's written, those outfits are spectacular. I want every piece of wardrobe that he has in this movie, just so I can wear it on the golf course. It's got the brightest purple socks, that striped white hat thing that the judge is wearing. these. Oh, it looks good on you, though. That stuff was great. 
I think we found your impression. I feel like I'm slipping into some sort of combination of Rocky and Rodney Danger. You gotta get deep if you're gonna do Rocky. You gotta sound more like you're muttering, and you gotta sound like there's something wrong with you. Hey, yo. Like you're missing your hat? Where's your hat? I guess one of the only real plot lines in the whole film is that Rodney Dangerfield's character, what is he, an Al Cernick? Let me look at here. Cernick? Yeah, something like that. C-Z-E-R-Vic. So, Cervic, I guess. So, it's his construction company across the street that probably brought the gophers over there because they went from there onto the golf course. That's what people are speculating. So, I guess that's the plot line with him, the through line. And then, at the end, you've got a fair amount of the movie is that whole big bet at the end. You're not supposed to bet in this golf course, but then they do anyway because we need a plot, I guess. $40,000. $40,000. Yeah, and then Danny has to fill in for the fake injured Al. I hurt my arm. <laughs> that was a great, oh, ah, oh, my arm, oh. <laughs> so then Danny has to fill in for him and risk losing the judge's backing. But what's dumb about that is that Dangerfield, or Al, says, I'll take care of you, kid. Okay, what, you're going to give me one little payoff? This judge can give me a job long term. Well, but then again, he does fuck Lacey in the judge's bed. He's fucking the judge's niece in the judge's bed. So he ruined his own chances maybe then. It didn't end up ruining them. That wasn't what ruined it. But it could have. Probably should have. Yeah, that was not the smartest thing in the world. He's trying to win over this judge guy for his scholarship or whatever the hell it is that he was trying to get. And he decides to not only bang the judge's niece, but do it in the judge's bed. And then just luxuriate with her in the bed afterwards, hang out for a little while, and just Get chill, there. chill naked in there. You moron. Although at first you're thinking, Danny, you moron, what's wrong with you? But then after Danny gets caught by the judge and chased around the room, he kind of gives a look to Lacey, right? What the hell? So maybe he didn't know that she was his niece at that point? I don't know. But she kind of gives him the, like, oopsie-daisy shrug like she was trying to set him up almost. Did you notice that? It was Maybe. Well, like... yeah, she seems to be a bit of a badass. She fucks around. She's with him in the movie. She's with Ty, Chevy Chase's character in the movie. Maybe other guys. I can't think of them right now, but at least those two. She is with, I think, the guy that was meant to be Italian that was always wearing the sleeveless shirt and smoking a cigarette. I'm not sure what his The young was. guy, right? One of the, yeah, one of the caddies. Yeah. It's funny, this movie's called Caddyshack, and they do show the Caddyshack, and the caddies get a lot of screen time, but it's so much more about the golfers. It should be called Golfer Shack. Hey, gophers, gophers. Anyway, yeah, Tony D'Annunzio, you're talking about him, right? Yeah, at some point. Which, for a 1980s body, he was ripped. If that (laughs) same guy was around now, he would be a monster. He'd be like the rock. I love how fixated you are on this guy's physique. He was impressive. (laughs) When we talk about scoring in movies, we do like to give the guys credit, too, and he was a sexy young man. He was a sexy man. He was very lithe. Didn't she show up with him at the ball at the club? So she probably fucked him too then. Kicks him to the curb because she was going to go smoke a joint with Danny or some such mm. thing. She sowed her wild oats too. Yeah, so, the movie's very episodic. There's not really any through line, I guess. I guess maybe that's one. Her character is just about looking pretty good and messing yeah. around with people. In addition to all the bullshit she had to put up with in the production of this movie, one of the reasons why Cindy Morgan has subsequently hated this movie, it was meant to be something else. It was meant to be, like you said, about the caddies. And I guess just because of the personalities of Dangerfield and Chevy Chase, and probably Bill Murray. I'm sure Bill Murray's character expanded through the production just because he wouldn't stop improving stuff. He wasn't supposed to be in the movie that much. He was supposed to be a silent character as yeah. well, kind of like Harpo Marx. But then they kept calling him back from New York to go down to Florida to shoot in this movie when he was going to go back to do SNL because they wanted to use him more. And because they wanted to use the gopher more, too. That's why she said it was not supposed to be this movie. It was supposed to be about the caddies, and then it just turned into this wacky movie about a golf game and a crazy groundskeeper dude. 
So I think you're right. It's kind of like a bit of a misnomer. It's interesting to me that Bill Murray's brother wrote the movie, right? Brian? Yeah, Brian Doyle Murray, who I didn't recognize at all when you first see him until <laughs> yeah. I heard the voice. His voice sounds the same as it does probably even now, certainly when he was on Groundhog Day as the mayor yeah. in that film. But looks-wise, I did not recognize him at all. He looks strange. As skinny as he is in this movie, he looks He's so weird. much thinner, yeah. Because you're used to him being a plumper guy. But he was a caddy in real life, so he was a co-writer on this. He was not a writer. I don't think he had any other writing credits. Maybe Caddyshack, too. But this was pretty much it. He's one of the writers along with, I think it was Ramis and Douglas Kenny, one of the producers also, who apparently fell off a cliff that okay. year. And I say apparently because they're saying he maybe committed suicide. Oh, dark. But anyway, Brian. yeah. Dark. It was Brian Doyle Murray, Ramis, and Doug Kenny who wrote the script together. Yeah, right. That is why so many aspects of this movie rang true to me as somebody that had worked in this world for a couple of years is because Brian had worked in it. He knew it. I think Bill and his brothers all worked at the snack stands at golf courses in the summers. And Bill Murray's eldest brother, Ed, I think his name is, or something like that, apparently won exactly the caddy scholarship that Danny's character is going for in this movie. He actually won that and then used it to go to school and get a degree. All of it rings with like a hint of truth because it's grounded in their experiences as young guys at the golf course over the summer. So for that, I have to give it some credit. For authenticity, in some respects, if nothing else. But I feel like Ramis just kind of lost the reins a little bit on this movie and then let it go. I think you definitely did, I would say. It's pretty hard to argue with that. It's incredible the movie works at all, considering all that, because it probably shouldn't have. It would be interesting to read a script of this movie before it went into production. What was it supposed to be? Was it meant to have, It must have been hugely different, because it would have been about the kids. Yeah, I wonder if it had, like, a whole arc rather than just these weird little episodes and then trying to figure out, okay, how do we tie this into some sort of coherent 90 to 100 minute thing when it's all said and done? I guess Danny's the link, so at least there's that. It may be inappropriately called Caddyshack, but the caddy is the link between all of them. Right. We first see him, I think, one of the first scenes. Well, his first scene actually is at home with his many brothers and sisters. Another reason this movie is a scorable film because his parents did a lot of fucking... They're like the Duggar family. They're clearly Catholic. There's a big cross on the wall. Danny's got scenes, I think the first one he has at the shack, or course, I should say, is with Chase. And then, of course, he spends time with everyone else. And then it's his putt that wins the bet. Although it's helped by the explosion. Yeah, I was going to say, The gopher wins the bet. I also read that that explosion at the end of the movie, they actually blew up a practice green at the course. The owners of the course had said, no, 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 you ain't blowing up anything on our course. It's not happening. And so... When they're nearing the end of the production, they say, hey, let's go for lunch. We'll take you guys out as a thank you for hosting us here. And then while the owners were off-site at this lunch, they blew up the practice screen anyway. <laughs> Suckers, we're out of here. <laughs> Which I guess is kind of fitting for the movie itself. By the way, I mentioned that I did not like the Baby Ruth scene. The reason why? Because I remember when I first saw this, I was relatively young. And I could be influenced pretty easily by gross-outs in movies. Maybe not so much now. But I did not eat a No Henry, a Baby Ruth what do you call it, Mr. Big? That might be a Canadian candy bar. Anyway, anything that looked like a big piece of shit for a very long time. <laughs> but you but still anyway, won't scene, eat when pie. When he eats it, I will not eat pie. That scene was, <laughs> I guess, kind of funny when Murray eats it, but it was disgusting. But the way they all react to it was so dumb. And I know, again, it's comedy, but if it was a piece of shit, it's not going to attack you. Just get away from it. You have now, to scream out of the, get out of the pool. Oh, my God. Ah! I agree. I mean, it wasn't very funny because it's a gag that has been done in various ways better than that since. But at the time, I thought that was okay. And the Jaws-esque moment where you have the lone swimmer in the pool that is slowly approaching the floating turd or whatever, that was a nice little callback to a movie that I guess had come out, what, 
two years prior? Five years before. Oh, was it five years? 75. 75. I think what I liked more than anything else, though, was your reaction to Bill Murray biting into it. That thing would be soaked in chlorine. This man is crazy. What is he doing? He's poisoning himself. (laughs) Well, also, I didn't even stay for the nose-picking scene. I had to go to the washroom anyway. I said, I'm not going to pause the movie. You watch this. I'm not watching the nose-picking scene because the guy eats it, too. They're betting on it, too. Yeah. They, and again, I know it's supposed to be funny. I wasn't funny. I said that enough times already. But I was you, reading, too, that Ramis wasn't even satisfied with his own film, incidentally. I think well, he felt it was unfinished or something like that. His initial cut of the movie was like four and a half hours long. I think he just couldn't decide what he wanted to leave in and what he wanted to take out. He directed Bedazzled, by the way. And that, for those who don't know, and this was your suggestion when we first started doing this podcast, is where we get the music for the Brendan Fraser cliches. Well, you know, you go out there and give 110%, and you want to play good, and you hope you play good. That's from Bedazzle, which Ramis directed in 2000, so 20 years after he did Caddyshack. That is a movie that I still have an affection for. It's not very good, but if for nothing else, that one interview with Brendan Fraser as the basketball player after a big win where there's fountains of sweat pouring down his yep. face, and he's just speaking. And all the cliches. All the cliches. You want to play good? You hope you play good? I think we play pretty good tonight. So he sounds like most real athletes. That's a good scene. You're right. That's why I agreed to use it. I didn't have to be convinced. You were right. <laughs> I didn't have to just twist your arm. You did not. So a score. I would say one of the lowest ones I've ever given. It's a 4 to 10 because for really? me, I didn't laugh. I was bothered by some of the gross outs because I'm a prude, I guess. So I'd say 4. What about you? I liked it, I think, a little bit more than you did. There were a few moments, mostly Bill Murray's stuff. There are moments that made me laugh. And like I said, I appreciated some of the golf course related stuff because it reminded me of guys that I worked with, even down to Danny rolling in on his bike into the back shop of the golf course and tipping his hat to the girls that he passes by. That is a memory that strikes me as being true to life. I still think it's like a five out of 10 for me, which I don't think is anywhere near my lowest. I still think Ready to Rumble, I gave a one or a two, didn't I? And rightfully so. We might have been scoring movies at that point. I don't remember that. I have to look oh, that up. Oh, maybe not. It was your idea to start scoring them because we call it scoring the movies, and that was more about the scoring factor rather than the what score would you give it. Well, I think we both agreed this is a sexy movie. This, yeah, has a lot of sex in it and a lot of horny characters and good-looking girls, some good-looking guys. Yeah, fine. That one young Italian dude who's just got lung cancer at the age of 27, but man, is Tony he Tony Denunzio. All right, well, I guess that's the end of Caddyshack, and I've seen it three times, and I'm probably never going to see it again. And I don't intend to see Caddyshack, too. We were doing this also in preparation for the Masters, but like everything else, that's not happening. Fast Nine's not happening, and neither is, what, a baseball movie, which we'll cover next week to prep for the baseball season? Not happening, at least not yet. There's no Cinderella story happening at the Masters this year, Ryan. Yeah, I don't know if they'll even do it at all. Well, we also did Beyond the Mat in preparation for WrestleMania, and that just got recently announced, and God knows how this will change. Things change by the hour with this COVID stuff, but... Now they're doing WrestleMania just in their performance center with no crowd, and they might still cancel it for all we know. So things uh, keep on changing. I don't have enough faith in Vince McMahon to say he's gonna actually gonna yeah. do the humane thing and cancel. He probably won't, yeah. Well, we'll keep doing sports movies because if people want to go back and listen to Caddyshack for a future golf thing when it's in sync, well, they can do that. These things are evergreen. So in two weeks, we'll sharpen our spikes, choke up on an old-timey bat, and talk about Tommy Lee Jones in Cobb. And I think we're both on the same page about this. I really like baseball history as much as anything else. And so Ty Cobb as a character is super interesting, right? Because he's one of the greatest jerks of all time. So we're going to transition from Rondi Dangerfield's quasi-jerky hero character to one of the true jerks in uh, American sporting history and talk about Ty Cobb. They say he murdered a guy, so I don't know if that's true or not. But I like that movie. I haven't seen it in a long time. It ain't fun, and nobody went to see it, but it's one of Jones's best performances, period. That's my recollection, too. 
Now that said, Caddyshack wasn't a ton of fun either. Yeah, it should have been. It was a little bit painful to watch, to be honest with you. It does fit that trifecta that you mentioned earlier, though. And I still think that of those three, right, The Longest Yard, Slapshot, and Caddyshack, I still think Slapshot is the best movie. It's the one I enjoyed the most. Probably, yeah. Longest Yard was fine as a movie. It just wasn't funny at all for a movie that was And there was some offensive stuff. Those guys who are dressing as cheerleaders and it's supposed to be a gay panic kind of thing. I don't know how many more late 70s era sports movies are out there that we haven't touched on yet. Bad News Bears. That's probably not going to age very well. But it's a classic, at least in the eyes of a lot of people. I'll be interested to see... That's more mid-70s, though. Yeah, maybe we just don't like mid-70s comedies. (laughs) Mid to late 70s comedies. Okay, so we're on Twitter. He is at Scoring at Movies. I am at MovieFiend51. We're on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts under Top 100 Project. The website is Top100Project.com. And all the things that have ever been done by this man and me, by Bab and me, or me by myself sometimes, are on that website. And for that matter, on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. So, Chris, I hope in your house, and here I am in my house during this deadly crisis, you'll take her easy, dude. I know that you will. Stay at home, dudes.